Number one, and absolutely most important, is the biblical importance of creation. Then I want to take a look at some legal issues. I know someone here must have some kind of fancy towards that. This will be slightly political, but not overly political. Number three, the educational agenda, which is alive and well, unfortunately, today. And last but certainly not least, I want to look at some of the moral implications. So I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Bible has over 200 verses on creation. Now, I believe the Bible is really trying to tell us something. And I think it's trying to tell us something rather important, don't you think? I think it's very important. I've been called to the carpet on it, so now I've got a list with it. If anyone wishes to look into this, all you need to do is email me or grab me after service, and I will send you this page from this PowerPoint, or I'll send you the whole PowerPoint if you want that too. You can have the whole thing. Here it is, 200 verses on creation, and I have not pulled any out of context. This is all about creation. 200 verses, and I, it's not, this is not an exhaustive list either. This is just a list that has something to do, there's an aspect of creation. And my point is that creation, the fact that our God is creator and sustainer, ties into many, many things we believe as Christians. Many things. And so there are over 200 verses on creation. And again, to reiterate, many of the Christian doctrines we live our lives on are based on it. Human dignity. Governmental authority. Marital fidelity. Ecological responsibility, church authority, family authority, human depravity, salvation in Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, and even human immortality. And now someone has to be thinking, no. Well, we're going to look at every one of those. Briefly. <laughs> Briefly. Number one, human dignity. James. Verses 9 and 10 say this. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And that verse there, simul, that ver word there, similitude, is the word homoousia. And that means that we have not been created exactly as God has created. We have been created in similitude. And that means man. And if you're looking for the Church history or the Latin phraseology you'd be looking for, that is the Mago Dei. That means that mankind, every man, woman, and child on this planet, bears the image of God in a way. And that is why I would tell you all of humanity, all of human life is precious. Is precious. Because the Lord God many thousands of years ago said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Why is human life so important? Why does it bear the term dignity? And it is, it is because we have been made in the image of our maker. And the word there is ginomai. The Greek word, have been made. You can't use an English word. It doesn't stretch out the Greek enough. You've got to put a couple words together to really catch the translation. That means to come into existence. Mankind came into existence. Not along an evolutionary, biological kind of evolution format. 
formed from one to one. It doesn't, that word doesn't mean that. You can't get that out of the Greek, and that's what I'm going to continue to try and reiterate. That word is a different word. There are words you can get out of there. Metamorpho means from changing from one thing to another thing. A caterpillar will metamorpho. It will crawl out of its shell. It will spin a cocoon in the most miraculous way. And then a beautiful butterfly comes out. And that is a metamorphosis. And that's a permanent change. That's not here. There is no changing from one to one. It says that man, as a species, has come into existence. And I would say by the hand of God. Two, whether we've thought about it or not, creation is the basis for governmental authority. Genesis 9, 6. That's right. We're not only going to hang in the New Testament, we're going to go back to the law and prophets. We're going to do both covenants today because I believe the Bible is a whole, all 66 books. All of it is good for teaching and rebuke. All of it is good for training in righteousness. And Genesis 9, 6 says, Whosoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And the word there, the Hebrew word there, made, is the word asa. And you've got a couple of different words in Hebrew for making things. The first word is bara. And that's, you find that in the beginning of the book of Genesis. It is God who has bara, the heavens and the earth. And that means to create something out of nothing. That is a special act that only God can do. The word asa means to function, functionally make something out of something else. So if God wanted to make a canoe, and this is the simplest application I can make, and I hope this is okay for everyone. If God wanted to make a canoe, he would bara, and there would be a canoe. He could speak it into existence. That would be enough for God. If you or I wanted to make a canoe, we'd have to chop down a tree, carve it out, burn it out, and then continue to carve we would only be able to asa a canoe. We could never make one out of nothing. We would have to use pre-existing materials. And that is what the biblical record tells us in Genesis. God took the what? The earth, the dirt, the stuff we all walk on and don't pay much attention to. Adam. And even his name is Adam, for he was made out of the ground. He was made of the earth. And God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and Adam became a living soul. But notice that, that is still special design. That is creation. That is not some form of evolution. That is creation. And again, what is the Bible reiterating? What does this mean to us? What is this down on plain level, playing ground for us? It means that because we have been made in the image of God, anyone who kills man is worthy of the death sentence. Now I know this doesn't fly in our modern American culture, but biblically speaking, capital crimes deserve capital punishment. Not Pastor Jason's opinion. God's word. God's word says that. Not my opinion. And why? What do we base it on? The fact that man has been created in God's image. And to shed the blood of another human being is an atrocious crime. We hear murder rate on the rise and this and that. But I think sometimes we don't realize what an assault on God's sovereignty it is. For it is God who has made man in his image. Number three, creation is the basis for marital fidelity. Matthew 19, 5 and 6, the words of Jesus. Haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? 
So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The word there is poiel, and it means to make. And when Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees about divorce and marriage, he said, look, haven't you read at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? Now, I come under a lot of attack by old earth creationists who are my brother in Christ 100%. I'm not trying to be the divisive guy. I'm just trying to be the biblical guy. If the days of Genesis are long, giant epochs where there are a million years is day one and there's a million years on day two and there's a million years on day three, how can Jesus rightly say, have you not read at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? What day was... Adam formed on. Anybody? Six. Day six. So you're going to tell me there were six million years between the creation of just the earth and then man shows up six million years later? And just there are Christians who believe that. They're called old earth creationists. They believe that. My point is that I have a very hard time believing that Jesus would have said, haven't you read at the beginning? beginning, well, day six, if it's a literal week of creation, is still pretty much the beginning. If it's six million years, not so much the beginning, in my opinion. Marital fidelity is based on creation. The idea of marriage is whose idea? We can't say it's man's idea. It's God's idea. If you left it up to mankind... We're pretty wicked to ourselves. Marriage is what? Marriage is selfless. Husbands and wives, we know what this is. Serving one another is the mandate for a biblical marriage. Husbands, washing your wives with the water of the word. Wives, submitting unto your husbands. We're going to get a little more into this a little later. Ecological responsibility. Ecological. What are you, a tree hugger, Pastor Jason? On occasion, I love trees, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the Lord has formed and fashioned this earth for us. He's formed it and fashioned it for us. Psalm 24, verse 1, so rich and deep. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the water. You see, this is why I believe Christians should be the most active environmentalists on the planet. I'm so darn green, it ain't funny. I can't throw a coffee cup on the ground without being fully convicted. I'll I'll, I'll announce a guilty sin with you. Several years ago, when I was a, a much younger pastor, I was riding down the parkway, and I spit my gum out the window. And I went a whole mile, and the Lord's physical presence in the car was so real that it was, the Lord went, I can't believe. Oh, how long I must bear with you, Falzerano. You speak about caring for the earth and you're going to spit that disgusting, chewy, sweet goodness out the window. And you know some bird's going to come along and choke on it. And that dead bird will be on your head. And I turned my car around and had to pay 35 cents at a toll. And I went back and I found my gum and I picked it up and I wrapped it up in a napkin. My hand to heaven. Why? Why would you be so, so crazy? Because the earth is, is the Lord's and everything in it. 
the world and all who live in it. He founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. We need to take care of this planet. And that is a stewardship principle based on what? Not public opinion. Creation. It's based on creation. We should care. We should take care of this earth. Amen? Number five, man, we're sailing right along today. Creation is the basis for church authority. Uh Uh-oh. See, this is why Pastor Joe invited me. He don't want to talk about authority. He'll bring me in and you'll all hate me. It's okay. It'll be based on creation and the word of God. Now, ladies, please accept this with a humble heart and catch my heart on this. This is not public opinion. This is not my opinion. This is what Paul said to his true son in the faith, Timothy. 1 Timothy 2.14 I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over men. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Plasos, to make form or to create. Do we understand the implications of this? Paul is not the chauvinist pig that he is always accused of. In critical circles, I hear it all the time. Paul was a chauvinist. Paul just hated women. Paul didn't hate women. Paul loved women. Paul loved his brothers in Christ. Paul loved his sisters in Christ. That's not the truth. The truth of the matter is that Adam was formed first. Now let me back up and put in a footnote. I want to clarify this. When you go through Genesis, and I, I, I beg you in the name of Christ and all things sacred and holy, Go back and read the Genesis account today for yourself. Three chapters of the Bible. Go Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. Go right into the fall so you get the full implications. On day one, everything is good. On day two, the Lord God says, everything is good. And he keeps going. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then he gets to the last day and you know what God says? He says it's good, right? Wrong. He said it is very good. God's cool. He, pump, he bumps it up a bit. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It is very good. You know the first thing in the Bible that is bad? For the man to be alone. That was the first bad thing. It is not good that the man is alone. I will make him a suitable helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and from his side... Rib is a horrible translation out of that Hebrew word. It doesn't mean rib. It, it says side, and it means side, and let's all stick to side. Then I'm going to tell you why I believe that. I'm going to get a little on the mystical, ooky, kooky side. But if you know me, you know that's just me. The Lord God took out of Adam a side, and he fashioned a woman, a helpmeet for him. And I'll tell you, the side I believe he took out of Adam was that feminine side. And created for him a suitable helpmeet who came alongside of him. And now, no longer is the man alone, but he is together with his woman. For she was taken out of man. And that's why she's called woman. And Eve became the mother of all living. You take it all the way back and we are all the descendants, maybe greatly removed, but great, 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 add a thousand more. Grandpa Adam and great-grandma Eve, all the way back. But notice that church authority is based on the creation account of God Almighty. 
It is the fact that Adam was formed first and Eve was taken out of Adam. Now, I know we don't like to hear this, but there is a level of submission there. There's a level of submission there. Adam was not to be a cruel dictator. He was to love his wife and care for her. Eve was not a slave, but she was willingly, or she, she, she should have been, willing to submit to Adam's great authority based on the fact that he was formed first. Do we know who fell into transgression? It was the woman. Satan came to Eve and said, you know, has God really said? Yeah. Calling God's word into doubt. It is very, very bad when we listen to the voice of Satan today as Christians when we read our Bibles and we hear that sound in the background of our hearts and minds. Did God really say that? It's the first thing Satan said. Well, and then Satan pushed it up and he said, you know what? The real truth of the matter is God's holding back on you. So you, you eat off that tree and you will be like God, discerning good from evil. And you know how he beguiled Eve? Now, a lot of Bible scholars jump all over Eve's caves, not me. Do you know what the truth of the matter is? Eve, now ladies, listen, this is here. Now listen now. Eve had a hunger for knowing God more. Eve had a hunger for the spiritual things. Eve had a hunger for knowledge. Men, sometimes that should put us to shame. But that happens. And because Eve wanted to go deeper, Satan tricked her. Could you imagine if the serpent had come to Adam? Hey, Adam, you know, if you eat off this, you'll be like God. He'd be like, Psh, I see God every day. He's in the garden. He made me out of the dirt. Where were you? In the cool of the night, he comes in. We, we converse. What are you talking about? He's the one who told me not to eat off of that tree. So go stick it. Go back sand, serpent. And why are you talking anyway? That's, that would have been my question. I believe Adam may not have done the best of jobs. Because if you read that account, and I want you guys to go back and read it, I really want you to. You will notice that Eve added to the word of God, didn't she? The Lord said that we shouldn't eat off of that tree, nor should we touch it. It's not what God said. In my opinion, you could have juggled with it. Just don't eat it. And so she added, it makes me think that in typical male fashion, now this is in the margin of your Bible, this is not inspired, giving you the living J. Falzerano translation, which is not always trustworthy. If Adam were like me, or should I say if I am like Adam, I would have told my wife, you know, God said don't touch it. That's pretty much what he said. Don't think about it, don't look at it, don't touch it, just, just stay the heck away from that tree. Because Eve added to the word of God. She said the, and she said, the Lord said that we shouldn't eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we shouldn't even touch it. Now look, this is my point in all this whole thing. When you add even a little bit to God's word, it is a dangerous thing. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 said, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his word, lest he find you to be a liar, and he rebuke you. 
And that is my short dissertation on adding to the Word of God. It is very dangerous. It is very dangerous. And the truth of the matter is, Paul said, look, Adam was formed first, and Eve was fashioned from Adam to be his helpmeet, and church authority is male. Pastors are males. Elders are males. The husband of but one wife. The qualifications are very easy. And Paul's whole thing is this, and please, don't be offended by this. Hear this with your spiritual ears. Basically, what Paul was saying is, because women have a hunger for the spiritual, sometimes they can be more easily deceived. Ladies, that's not a bad thing. Don't feel bummed out about that, and don't think I'm coming down on you, because I'm not. What I'm saying is, your husband is there to protect you. Your pastors are here to shepherd your hearts and to watch out for you. And this is what God's word says. Church authority is based on creation. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Number six, creation is the basis for family authority. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 and 9. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is our husband. And the head of Christ is God. Now catch verse 9. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Kratizo. To create, to form, to make. This verse here from St. Paul tells us that it was not man who was created for woman, but it was woman who was created for man. Now the world's going to tell you something completely different than that. And trust me, if you want to look at the great face of the world that elevate women and empower women and are for women, let me tell you something. It is not Islam. It is not Buddhism. It is even not Judaism. It is Christianity. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, truly changed things. So radical and awesome was he in his incarnation. Women, you have been set free from the bondage of what the world believes about you. Pray for women who are in the bondage of Islam. Women in Islam are, are right on the level with cattle. And I don't say that to be funny. It's miserable. Many nights it makes me weep. I mourn for that atrocious fact. God sees us as equals with distinctions. And let me clarify that because people can get really spazzed out. We are equal Equally created, equal in the eyes of Almighty God, and yet there are distinctions and roles. You know, I'll never have a baby. <laughs> Wept about it. I've seen doctors, <laughs> seen psychiatrists. I'll never know what it's like. I'll never hold a child up. I'll never nurse a child. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. It's not my job. It's not my role. God didn't make me that way. We have different roles. We have different functions in society and in the church. And that doesn't make anyone better or anyone worse than anyone else. But there is a difference there. And what's the world going to say? We're all the same. We're all the same. We are not all the same. <laughs> it's just not true. You're, you're fighting the laws of logic on that one. We're not all the same. We are loved the same by God. And we are equals but equals with distinctions. And I want to really be careful about that. 
But this plays into family authority. Husbands, fathers, in the name of Jesus Christ, be that. Be that. Be empowered by the Spirit of God Almighty. Be a priest and a king in your own home. And lead like Jesus. Jesus' ministry, which is so awesome, was a parapatheic ministry. And I know that's a funky Greek word. I mean, again, we go back to what the heck does that mean? Parapateo means come, follow me. And Jesus wasn't talking about Twitter. Okay? <laughs> Not like, hey, man, I got a new post going on. Read it. Going to be hanging at Johnson's Park today. Why don't we chill? Jesus basically took a bunch of men and he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that is sorely lacking in the world today. Men who will say, come and follow me. This is how I disciple men in my church. I say, look, I don't know everything, and there's a lot I don't know, but I know this much. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And I've been following him for a couple decades now, and life is sweeter than it's ever been. And if you want to know Jesus more, and you want to see what pastoral ministry is like, you can come follow me, but know you follow Christ first. And you can come follow me. And I'll train you the way I was trained, which is parapatheic. It was come follow me. Daniel Flusco, my pastor, said, you want to be a pastor? You come follow me. And I didn't want to be a pastor. He called me out on it. Just being honest. Jesus' ministry was come follow me. And let me tell you something. That means getting dirty, down and grubby. It means getting tired and doing work. Let me tell you something. Jesus-style ministry was awesome. Do you remember that occasion where Jesus spit in the dirt, made some stuff and rubbed it in a guy's ears? Man, that's some funky stuff right there. That's, that, that's earthy, gritty. That, that's hardcore ministry. And Jesus wasn't afraid to do that. Jesus touched a leper. And in Jewish circles, it made him unclean. And you know what? He touched a man with leprosy anyway and made him clean. And didn't look for the glory in any He said, you don't tell anyone. You go show yourself to the priest. Go bring an offering to the temple. Go show yourself to the priest that you are clean. Jesus was not afraid to get dirty. And I think a lot of the times that's our biggest fear. We are just afraid to get dirty. We're afraid to dig in. And brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, who was not afraid to get dirty, get dirty. Dig in. Fathers, you have a great responsibility to teach your children the ways of God Almighty. If you're looking for instruction, look no further than Deuteronomy, where God told his people, you will tell your children about me when you rise up in the morning along the wayside, when you come home, and when you lie down. Well, that's a fourfold ministry right there. That's basically telling your kids about God all the time. And I think we forget. Look for every opportunity to teach your children about the God we serve and his created order. Fathers, be fathers. Wives, undergird your husbands and encourage them in the Lord. This is the created order. Family authority is based on creation. Number seven, human depravity. Romans 5.12 for by one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men for all sinned. And it's all sinned in Adam. 
Romans 5.14, two verses later, clearly indicates that Adam is the one man. He's the one man. You see, this is also the major reason why evolution does not line up with Genesis. And it's because it puts death before sin, and that is a big, big theological problem. Once you mess with the creation account, once you mess with the literal fall, you are in the muck. You have theologically spun yourself into the Celtic unendless knot. And you, I don't know how you get out of it. Once you take the Bible as non-literal and you try to bring allegory in, you try and give it basically this story aspect. And that's why I don't even like the word story. I don't even like it. We don't even do that in our Sunday school. We're going to tell the story of Jonah today. Eh, don't tell the story of Jonah. It was a literal thing that happened. You want to tell the account? Then tell the account. But I don't like the word story because the word story and the word fantasy are forever mingled in American English. I do not find stories in the Bible. I find literal historical accounts Amen. in the Bible. It is by one man, Adam, that sin entered the world. And you know why that is? Because if you go back to Genesis, I'm just going to keep going back to Genesis, I guess. According to God's creation, everything does what? It reproduces after its kind. Horses give birth to horses. Cats give birth to cats. Sinners give birth to sinners. And that's why it's easy to say sin is inherent in mankind. For in Adam, we all died. Human depravity. It's rooted in creation. It's rooted in the fall. Salvation in Christ to counteract this. It's the only next logical place to go. Point number eight. Salvation in Christ is based in creation. Again, from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. You see, what I like here is Paul seems to have no problem linking Adam's creation to Christ's incarnation. And that does not mean that Jesus is created. In the words of St. Augustine, there is no loss in the incarnation. Ready? There is no loss of deity in the incarnation. There is only the addition of humanity. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Eternal. That is what John 1.1 says. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, forever wed himself to a human nature that we might be forgiven. You see, to bridge the unbridgeable gap between an almighty, infinite, sinless God and sinful, wicked mankind, what do you need? You need someone who can bridge the gap. You need someone who is God to touch God, and you need someone who is man to touch man. And who is that? That is Jesus. That is Jesus. And you see, I get into these big, long debates with Rutgers students. Please pray for me. Rutgers is such a lost place. Please pray for me. It's a difficult place to do ministry, but it's a wonderful place to do ministry at the same time. And there's all these things come up and all these arguments about the incarnation. Well, how can that happen? Well, how can this happen? How can this happen? How can you believe this? How can you believe that? How can you believe? Science says that the universe is 13 billion years old. Let me tell you something else science says. 
Hold on, to your, your, hold on to your seats and buckle up on this one. Virgins don't conceive, dead men don't come back from the grave. And if those two things are true, Christianity is the cruelest joke ever. And we are all miserable to be pitied. What else does science say? Stretch it out. Siometric and faith in Christ are diametrically opposed, and you cannot intermarry them. And that has been my point for years now. The whole thing that has crept into the church, theistic evolution, it blows my mind. There's nothing in there. There's no scriptural support. I know science says the universe is 13 billion years old. I'd like to see him prove it. I use one proof. Again, biblical. Were you there? I know it sounds arrogant. Give me one second. When Job makes all of his complaints about God, and he makes them, and he was in a bitterness of heart speaking these things out. God shows up in the whirlwind, doesn't he? You who have read the book of Job, right? God shows up in the whirlwind, and what does he say to Job? Where were you when I stretched out the foundations of the earth? And so I like, where were you? It's good. Its counterpart is, were you there? Well, we've radiometrically dated these things. Were you there? Oh, you weren't. Hang on, I got a reliable witness who is there. His name is Yahweh. And, and he actually spoke to his prophets of old to pen these things down for us. And he is the most reliable eyewitness ever. And you see, God's word has to be God's word. And a lot of churches have gotten away from it. Praise God, this church hasn't. Brothers and sisters, be on guard. The wind of change is out there. New theologians come and go. They're like flavors of ice cream. He who was awesome today will not be next week. And all these different things will continue to come and go. And you'll have, people will tell you you have to catch the new wave in Christianity. I don't know what the new wave is, but I like the old wave. It's the B-I-B-L-E, your basic instruction before leaving earth. Your Bible. You want God's heart? You want God's mind? It's in your lap. And you don't have to go chasing anywhere else. And you don't have to ask science how we got here. Ask the one who put us here how we got here. And he'll tell you in Genesis 1. The resurrection. I know we wouldn't think about this, but creation is the basis for the resurrection. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and 23. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterwards, those who are coming are Christ at his coming. You see, again, to reiterate a point I've already made, in Adam all die. That's the literal account of the fall. And if you change the Genesis account to anything other than a literal historical event, you have changed the New Testament. And what's worse, you have changed salvation. And now it's just confusion. It's in Adam that all have died, but what? In Christ, all can be made alive. And that's the hope we have. And it's rooted in creation. It's rooted in creation. Last but certainly not least, creation is the basis for human immortality. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, and verse 13, tagged on at the end. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you know what we find here in the Bible many thousands of years before anyone coined the term? Uniformitarianism. And what do the scientists of today say? May God have mercy on their souls and they repent and find Christ. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing has changed. Everything's the same. Nothing's happening. Rock layers built up over billions of years. They get the sanctimonious term too. Billions of years. Carl Sagan would do it. The universe is all that there is, ever will be. It was created billions of years ago. I got a God answer for him. Were you there? Were you there? No, you weren't there. You see, nevertheless, science says all of these things and our world pumps all of these things into the young minds of America. We, according to his promise, promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And because God is from everlasting, because he is the Alpha and the Omega, do you know what he has promised to those who love him and repent? Immortality. Life in heaven with him. And the sad fact of the matter is there is but two choices. An eternity with Christ in his presence, everlasting joy and mercy, enjoying fellowship with the living God, or a Christless eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, one of those sounds real bad to me and one of those sounds real good. And it is not based on speculation or public opinion. It is based on the promise of God. And you see, to me, I know there's a lot of argumentation about today's theological systems. Are you a Calvinist? I get accused of being a Calvinist all the time. Are you Arminian? I get accused of being an Arminian all the time. Are you a Calmenian kind of an in-between mixture? I get accused of that all the time. Are you this? Are you that? Blah, blah, blah. I just don't like man-centered designations. John Calvin didn't go to the cross for me. Jacob Arminius didn't bleed out for me. Jesus did. But if I like a system, I like what Walt Kaiser has called the promised plan of God. And if you want to get into a really great book, it's a little thick. It's only 500 pages. You can go by the promised plan of God. He calls it promised plan theology. And it's basically built on the covenants of God. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. And he explores all those things. And I'm telling you, we have a God who makes promises and who keeps promises. Amen? Amen. No uniformitarianism. It's the promise of God. You see, if creation is not true, then much of the Christian doctrine crumbles. What would crumble? Human dignity, governmental authority, marital fidelity, ecological responsibility, church authority, family authority, human depravity, salvation in Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, and human immortality. Do you see how important creation is? What about the legal issues? Well, there are a lot of legal issues. You're going to get a quick history lesson here today. How many people have even read the Declaration of Independence by show of hands? You can get a copy at Barnes & Noble for $9.00. It should be on the shelf of every American home. I know people don't like it when pastors say you must or you should, but I'm going to go with the you must should. 
You must should go buy a copy of the Declaration of Independence, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it is intrinsically linked with the doctrine of creation. Oh, no, it's not, Pastor. Oh, yes, it is. The Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Do you guys know that agreement with the Declaration of Independence is a condition of statehood? It is. All of the original states endorsed fully the Declaration of Independence. And every state since has then been required to form a government that is in conformity with the U.S. Constitution and all the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Where is my proof? Let me give you one proof text. As late as August 21st, 1959. I know the young people here think that that was a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago, okay? <laughs> How many people were born in 59 or before 59? You see, here's a bunch of people who can check the facts on this, guys. Young people. I turned 38 a couple days ago, so I can't call myself young anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm middle-aged. It's just, it happened. It happened fast. One thing that was instilled within me when I was young, and I pray that I pass this on and instill this with you. Honor your elders. People who have been on planet Earth longer than you have been there, have seen it, have done it, and they have the t-shirt to prove it. Young people, cherish, honor, and love your elders. Respect them and ask to be taught by them. And you will realize they are very often a fountain of information. Older people, when all these teenagers broad you with questions later, answer them. But as late as August 21st, 1959, Hawaii was admitted to the United States based on the fact that it was in full agreement with all the principles of the Declaration of Independence. What about the First Amendment? We're going to look at that too. First Amendment clearly states, Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, abridging the freedom of speech. The First Amendment guarantees a couple things, and I want to share them with you. It guarantees the freedom of speech. It guarantees the freedom of religion. And it guarantees that no establishment of a state religion will be formed by the state for all U.S. citizens, including creationists. Now, why do I make these points? Because to deny the teaching of creation is a clear violation of the Constitution's freedom of speech. Since biblical creationists have no freedom to teach their view alongside the opposing views in the public school system. It is a clear violation of the no establishment of religion clause, and I'll tell you why. Because establishing non-theistic religions like secular humanism, they do that by allowing the only view, evolution, that favors their view on origins. And let me tell you something. Evolution leads to secular humanism. There's an undeniable marriage between the two. 
It is a violation of the freedom of religion clause because it does not allow creationists to teach their view compatible with their religious beliefs in the public school system. And so it's the opposite. Well, you're teaching your religious views. Why can't we teach our religious views? And look, I'm really big on people becoming active. I pray someone's heart is stirred to take this to the next level. And if more people rose up, then guess what? We have a democratic society. And guess what? Our politicians would have to listen to our cause. They would have to listen to our pleas. But so many people go, oh, it just sounds like work, pastor. Oh my goodness, didn't make a phone call? And write a letter maybe? And like start a petition or something? Would I, have to, like, would I have to talk to other Christians who believe what I believe? Yes and amen to everything. Yes. Don't you love children? Does it bother you that they're being indoctrinated? Bothers the heck out of me. I'm a little bothered and disturbed by it. But nothing will change if we don't do something. And the truth of the matter is the old axiom rings true. The only thing that needs to be done for evil to prevail is for good men and women to sit back and do nothing. My final conclusion is simple. The only proper thing to do is to neither teach creation nor evolution or else to teach both in a fair and balanced manner. I'm not saying you can't teach evolution in school. Groovy. Teach the theory. You should teach the other theory right alongside of it. That there is a great God who loves us and who made all things. Not only has he made all things, he sustains all things by the power of his word. I'm not saying you have to make people believe that. I'm saying give them a choice. You're going to teach one side of the story. Teach the other side of the story. Teach the other view. Now this is the part that might get a little controversial. Maybe a little. This is what John Scopes said so many years ago. I don't know if you guys know anything about John Scopes, but he was the gentleman who taught evolution in a state where you couldn't teach evolution. And I'm going to tell you why he did what he did, which led to the Scopes monkey trial, which was long and drawn out. And we're in the mess we're in now because of that. But in all the things that I disagree with John Scopes about, I think he had a pearl of wisdom in this. And this came out in the Scopes monkey trial. Scope said, if you limit a teacher to only one side of anything, the whole country will eventually have only one thought. I believe in teaching every aspect of every problem or theory. I have many young Christians in my church who graduated four glorious years at Rutgers, and they are ardent, staunch, theistic evolutionists. Why? Because they were drilled with it from the time they were this high. And that's called indoctrination. I'd rather teach a child how to think than what to think. And I find that to be one serious flaw in our education system. If any of you are teachers here, this is not an attack upon you. It is without fail an attack on the administration, not on the teachers. There are good-hearted Christians in the school system. I am not attacking you. I am attacking the administration. And I'm going to tell you why. This is what the secular humanists say. This is, I have not fabricated these things. You can go look these things up. I've got the footnotes in there. Human Manifesto 2, 1973. We are committed to an open democratic society. We must extend participatory democracy in the truest sense to the economy, the school, and the family. This is the Secular Humanist Declaration of 1981. I'm not making up names. This is what they call it. 
So you can go Google this and find this. In 81, they added this. A pluralistic, open, democratic society allows all points of view to be heard. That is so important, I want to read it again. A pluralistic, open, democratic society allows all points of view to be heard. But what's the problem? The secular humanists may say these things in their public declarations, but they sure don't mean them in reality. They don't mean them in reality. Secular humanists are the biggest proponent of having creationism kept out of the public schools. They want their religion taught instead, which is evolution. Evolution is a religion. It's not science. It is origin science. It is unprovable. It's not operation science. It's origin science. And it comes down to faith. At the end of the day, you have to, by faith, believe everything that we see exploded out of nothing. That is not science. That's amazing faith. I tell every evolutionist I encounter, you are a great man or woman of faith. How so? You believe that everything exploded out of nothing 13 billion years ago. That is miraculous. You're on the doorstep, you're on the doorstep of Christianity. We just got to get you over the hump and introduce you to Jesus. Because you, you've already got faith down. That's, a, that, that's more faith than I got. I believe someone created everything out of nothing. You believe everything exploded out of nothing. You ever seen anything explode out of nothing? That would make society interesting, wouldn't it? Watch out, things are exploding on the parkway today. I'm not mocking, I'm just trying to put legs to what they believe. We looked at the biblical importance, the legal importance, and the educational agenda. How are we doing on time? Terrible. Do we have five more minutes? I want to look at the moral implications. I, I'm long-winded, I'm sorry. Religious humanism says no creator. There is no creator. Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing or self-produced and not created. Human manifesto, first affirmation. And I'm going to tell you what the big problem is here, brothers and sisters. This entire statement is a contradiction and a violation of the law of causality. Nothing, I repeat, nothing is self-produced. Nothing. Nothing. The law of causality states this. Anything which begins to exist needs a first cause. And you want to know why that doesn't apply to God? Because He's infinite and eternal. I am the Alpha and the Omega. God has never had a beginning. He has always been. And the law of causality does not apply to Him. Young people, when people say, well, who made God? Your answer is very simple. Nobody made God. He has always been. And everything we see has flowed out of His goodness. And the law of causality, which is a scientific law and a natural law, proves it. Everything which begins to exist needs a cause. How do you get that black guy? Jay Falzerano slugged me. Well, there it is. I slugged you. What's the result? You got a black eye. Anything which begins to exist needs a cause. It's undeniable. And the universe had a beginning. Even science agrees with us. We do not agree with the Big Bang, or at least most evangelicals in my circle do not. But I agree that 
everything came into existence by the word of God. And so we've got a point of commonality. You've got a point of commonality there. For anyone who believes in the Big Bang, we just got a different opinion. They say nothing, and we say God. These next three statements will offend you, and they're meant to, because these things offend me every time I read them. Stephen Gould, who now knows the truth, because he's not among us anymore, many years ago said, evolutionary biology took away our status as paragons created in the image of God. He said, well, the more science we've studied means we don't have to, we don't have to be concerned with ancient doctrine. Evolution and biology. It took our need away to feel important as if we are paragons created in the image of God. I don't know if that statement offends you. As a Bible-believing Christian, it, it offends me. I'm offended by that. George G. E. Simpson. Man is the result of a purposeless and natural process that did not have him in mind. He simply was not planned. Were you not planned? I feel my life was pretty planned and has purpose and meaning and design. But I saved the worst for last. Jacques Bonnard said, the mechanism of Darwinism as at last securely founded. Man has to understand that he is a mere cosmic accident. My brothers and sisters, I ask you today, are you a mere cosmic accident? There's only one date I make my student of ministry students, wow, that was redundant. I make school of ministry students memorize one date. 1959. And I'm going to tell you why. Because 1959 has forever changed the world as we know it now. This is a page of the leaf of an original, The Origin of Species, by Charles Darwin, who, just so you know, had a Master of Arts in Theology. Okay? So the next person who calls him a great scientist, tell him he was a bad theologian, but not a great scientist. Because that's all Darwin ever studied. He was studying to be a pastor and decided to take a trip on the Beagle and go to the Galapagos Islands. And reading a book by Charles Lyell completely lost his faith in Christ and the Bible and became a, basically became an evolutionist. And now people, evolutionists, adore and, and, and worship this book. But I want to show you what I find so absolutely offensive about it. Do you see the highlighted box there? Everyone with good eyesight can read this, and if you can't, I'll read it for you. Or the preservation of favorite spe races in the struggle for life. Evolution and Darwinian theory is the most bigoted and racist theory going. And I'm telling you, racism springs out of it. We are better than you. Our race is more self-sufficient. We are more evolved than your race. And if you don't believe that this has had a ginormous impact on history, Hitler was a Darwinist. And as someone who has a Jewish heritage, it pains me to put this kind of garbage in my PowerPoint. But I do it so that people are aware. This is a brief excerpt out of Mont Kampf, something that Hitler had probably been writing since he was a teenage boy. 
on page 240. He said, if nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger, she wishes even less that a superior race should intermingle with an inferior one. Because in such a case, all her efforts throughout hundreds of thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher stage of being may thus be rendered futile. And what did he do? He attempted to erase the Jewish people. And his claim is that they were a unsuperior, inferior race. And he based much of it on Darwinism. Believe it. It's not opinion. It's historical fact. Evolution is a religion. And I'm going to tell you why. Based right out of Philip E. Johnson's book, Darwin on Trial. Good book. Don't agree with all of Philip Johnson's findings. It's a good book if you want to dig into this fact. If you want to dig into this matter. Page 150. By 1959, pause, stop, footnote. How many years is that since the writing of The Origin of Species? 100 years. 1859 was when that was penned. And now Johnson says, by 1959, Darwinism was not just a theory of biology, but the most important element in a religion of scientific naturalism with its own ethical agenda and plan for salvation through social and genetic engineering. Does anyone know what Philip Johnson is talking about in that? The darkest time in America's past, the 1960s and 1970s, a little project called eugenics. And that is one of the darkest periods of American history just in my opinion, where basically doctors and evolutionary biologists and scientists said, you know what, we're going to get back to breeding the perfect human being. And they put birth control in people's water supply and didn't tell them. And they sterilized young women who would come in for an appointment with their gynecologist and they didn't know it. And they basically wanted to get right back to what Hitler had started many decades before. Genetic engineering. And it was a dark, dark time. Based on what? Based on evolution. There is no God. We are all that it is. We are all that it will ever be. And it's all about us. Something that is diametrically opposed to faith in Christ. Humanism. No God-given moral absolutes exist. And that's what they believe. Humanism, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic argument of human values. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous and situational. Humanist manifesto, fifth affirmation. They believe these things until reality sets in. You really want to spaz out someone who believes this? I've done this a couple times, it's a lot of fun. You basically say, what's in your bank account? Really? 50 thou. Sweet. Uh, I'm thinking about stabbing you in the face. And assuming your identity, and taking all of your stuff. Because science says it's the survival of the fittest. And no moral absolutes exist. Everything is autonomous and situational. And I've waited out in my mind, I'm bigger than you, I'm faster than you, I'm stronger than you, and I'm smarter than you. Therefore, I should kill you and take all of your stuff. Science says so. 
you should see your faces. This is the fun part of being a pastor. You all look horribly appalled that I would even bring something up. And you should. Because what is that? What did I just say? That was morally repugnant to everyone in here. And you know what? It's morally repugnant to every human being on the face of planet Earth. And that's my point. Ethics is not situational. It is not autonomous. The law of God is based on God's holy character for all human beings. What's right is right, what's good is good, and what's evil is evil. And it's not based on public opinion. And it surely hasn't been taught us by science. It is the word of God. So here's my grand conclusion in all of this. Not to allow teaching creation is bad for evangelism, bad for our educational system, bad in an ethical sense. It's a violation of our freedom of speech. It's a violation of our freedom of religion. And it is a clear violation against the Declaration of Independence. And my point is very simple. If we don't believe the doctrine of creation as found in the Bible, then what else do we not believe in the Word of God? You see, there are so many things that are under attack today. And one thing that is clearly under attack today in the church is family authority, church authority, salvation in Christ, almost all those things that I mentioned before that are all founded and based in creation. And if you remove the creator, you have removed all meaning. Brothers and sisters, it's just a gentle wake-up call. Your Bible is full of God's truth. Science is full of man's opinions. And science has clearly taught us that virgins do not conceive babies without the help of a man, and dead men do not rise again from the sepulcher. Who are you going to believe? Science? Or Jesus. In closing, Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. You want to see the glory of God tonight, gang? Wait till about 9 o'clock, go outside, and just look up. Stand with me, let's pray. Our great God and King, you are a holy and righteous God and you are good to us, Lord. I would declare that you're even, you treat us better than we even deserve most of the time. And what's amazing is your grace, how you put up with us, how you labor along with us. And although we stumble and falter along the way, you are the great Father who picks us up and puts us on our feet again. The Bible says, the Proverbs tell us that though a righteous man may stumble seven times in a day, he rises again. And Lord, that's even part of your grace. For sanctification is something that you're doing in us and for us. You are a great God. Lord, forgive us of the ways that we've faltered and stumbled. Lord, help us to work, walk worthy of the call, the upward call in Christ. 
And Father, the doctrine of creation, so under attack by our world today, I pray that this message has strengthened our faith a little bit in it and lit a fire in our bellies. For your word is very clear. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. And we love you because you loved us. And we ask everything in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me.